Hi, my name is Ryan Schreckengast, uh, and I'm one of the preachers here at GFC. Uh, I remember when our first child, Aiden, was born, and we were wrapping up at the hospital, and the nurses had us watch about a nine-minute video, the theme of which was very clearly reminding us, do not shake the baby. That was the thrust of the message, and it took about nine minutes. Uh, and while that is very, very important information, I remember thinking, wait a minute, that's it? Like, this is the entirety of the advice that you have before you turn over this helpless human entirely into my possession. That's all you're going to tell me. Really? <laughs> really? Do you know me? <laughs> who, who am I to take care of this child? And that's all I'm going to get. Who am I? I am not qualified for that. And maybe you have had similar thoughts, maybe the same thought, those of you who have had children at the hospital here, uh, <laughs> um, or maybe you have had thoughts similar to this. Who am I to lead my family in a biblical way? I am not a Bible scholar. I am not prepared for this. Or maybe you've asked, who am I to raise teenagers in knowing the Lord? Frankly, I have no idea what I'm doing. Maybe you've asked, who am I to be a witness in my workplace or in my school? Who am I to lead someone to Christ? I am unprepared and I am terrified. Well, these are all fantastic questions, friends. And if you've never asked any questions like this, you may have an egotism problem. Uh, but at the heart of these questions is really a comparison. We are, we are comparing ourselves to those who are around us or to those that we have heard about that we hold in high esteem. And that's not a bad thing. But often we get into trouble when we don't truly know those to whom we are making those comparisons. Or if we do know them, we fail to remember that even those people are works in progress that God is transforming into his likeness. So this morning, we're going to be taking a very, very close look at the Apostle Paul, who wrote about half of the books in the New Testament. We're going to consider the question, who is this Paul? And I hope that by doing that this morning, you will have both a greater appreciation for Paul and also through that you will have an awe at the work that God does as he transformed Paul into the man that we see this morning. So this morning we're going to be reading Acts 21 verse 37 through Acts 22 verse 29 which is going to be on page 867 if you took one of the church Bibles this morning. So, quick, some, some uh, very fast recap. Remember the context of earlier in Acts 21. Paul has arrived at the direction of the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem. And there the elders suggest that Paul clarifies some of the rumors that were abounding about him regarding his message. And their suggestion was that he complete this Jewish ritual of purification in the temple. 
And Paul does this. But the result of Paul's obedience was not to clarify the rumors, but to increase the fervor and the rage. And in fact, crowds formed to kill Paul. Acts 21 verse 31 says that all of Jerusalem was in confusion. And the scene comes to a head in verse 34, where we learn that some in the crowd were shouting one thing and some another. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, the tribune ordered Paul to be brought into the barracks for his own safety and questioning. And so that is this scene of confusion where we pick up today's text. So let's read Acts 21 verses 37 through 40 this morning. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, may I say something to you? And he said, do you know Greek? Are, are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hands to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language. In these beginning verses, Luke poses an important question. That's the author of Acts. Luke poses this important question. Who is this Paul? This is an important question for the audience of his letter, Theophilus, Because Paul is being put on trial at the time of this writing or nearby. And through proxy, Christianity itself is being put on trial. So it is absolutely necessary that the identity and the character of Paul is established for the audience reading this uh, letter at the time. But why does this matter for us today? Why should we care who this Paul guy is? Well, as I mentioned, he is a central fiction, central figure in the scriptures. And we need to know if he can be trusted. And through proxy, if Christianity can be trusted. Because there are those who say that they believe the Bible, but they reject the teachings and the authority of Paul. Just like the climate in Jerusalem then, in this chapter, the climate is very similar today. There are those who are shouting one thing and others who are shouting something else. But we have to know the facts. Because who Paul is shows us the very hand and purposes of God. So, let's look at this question. Who is this Paul? First in verse 37, Paul addresses the Roman tribune in Greek. And that stunned him because Greek was the language of Rome and of the educated. And this was a shock which enraged, uh, sorry, this was a shock because the enraged crowd had led the Roman authorities to assume something that was not true. They assumed that Paul was an Egyptian revolutionary assassin. 
That is the, the assumption that they're operating under. But Paul then replies, not in Egyptian, but in Greek, and he meekly, I might add, very meekly, refutes this accusation. He says in verse 39, nope, I'm, I'm not an Egyptian assassin. I'm a Jew from a well-known city under Roman rule. And he begs to address the crowd that is in such an uproar. So do you see that right off the bat here, the author Luke sets up his readers with this wild speculation and all the various claims that are being that are being asked here. And he wants his audience to ask, who is this Paul? Is he Egyptian or Roman? Is he a Jew? Is he a radical or is he is he respectful? He speaks Greek. He also speaks Hebrew. Who is this guy? And so that's the question that Paul himself answers as he addresses the crowd in the next section. So let's continue to read Acts 22, verses 1 through 5. And we'll see that Paul is, first and foremost, a mistaken sinner. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, Brothers and fathers... Hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers being zealous for God as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women as the high priests and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them, I received letters to the brothers and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. So before anything else, before his audience, Paul identifies himself as being a mistaken sinner, just like those who are in the crowd. Paul opens his address in verse 22 by by speaking to the brothers and fathers. This is the title that he gives the mob of the people who are there trying to have him killed. The same people who in chapter 21 verse 31 formed seeking specifically to kill him. He calls them his brothers and his fathers. And so he doesn't hate them back. In them he sees his own mistaken sin. He identifies his upbringing and his education in verse 3. He sees his own religious zeal and his passion that led to violence in verse 4. And he sees then his own methodical and intentional opposition to the way, the gospel in verse 5. So how does Paul respond to this violent, hate-filled mob? 
he responds by saying, I am the same as you. He knows their anger and their mistaken zeal. He recognizes it. And I'm astonished here by Paul's humility and his honesty before this crowd. He acknowledges his sin in front of them, even the sin to the persecution to the death. And that struck me as I was studying for this sermon. This is very difficult for me to do. I don't want people to see my mistakes. Especially not people who are actively seeking to harm me. I want to put forward a strong defense. Not like this defense that Paul puts forward here. Of humility. I want my successes to be displayed. Not my failures. But friends, when I do that, I not only confuse and cloud the reality of life, but I steal the glory from a God who saved me. A glory that rightly belongs to him. And I say, that's mine. Because I am all put together. I am righteous myself. But Paul doesn't do that here, friends. He is a mistaken sinner. And yet, he recognizes also that that is not all that he is. That is only the beginning of Paul's story. Friends, he's here in this position this morning because something has changed him. Although Paul is a mistaken sinner... Although he was once just like this crowd of persecutors. There is one and only one difference between who he was then and who he is now. And that is the intervention of and the appointment by the word of Jesus Christ. That is what has changed Paul. So let's look at verses 6 through 21, and we'll see that beyond being a mistaken sinner, Paul is appointed as God's messenger. Read with me these verses. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus. And there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. 
And at that very hour, I received my sight and saw him. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving, watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Friends, we see here the incredible transformation that God works in Paul, who was also called Saul, taking a mistaken sinner and appointing him for himself as a messenger to testify for him. In verse 7, Jesus speaks to Saul. The word of the Lord literally intervenes In Saul's life. And isn't it interesting. That although Saul. Had been zealously pursuing. What he thought to be God's will. When he actually hears. The voice of God. He knows. That it's the voice of God. But he doesn't. Recognize it. He asks. Who are you Lord. In verse 8. And what shall I do, Lord, in verse 10? This would be like getting a call on your phone that displays dad. And you answer, but you don't recognize the voice that speaks to you from the other end. Paul knows that this is God. But he has no idea what to do about it. Who am I? And so God sends him to find out all that is appointed for him to do. And there are three things in verses 14 through 15 that God appoints for Paul to do. To know God's will, to see the righteous one, and to hear the voice from his mouth. And then ultimately, To witness for him to everyone. Friends, this is who Paul is. He is a messenger appointed by God to know him and to witness for him to everyone. Do you see what the words of Jesus can accomplish? A man just as confused and mistaken as those who are in this crowd, now knows the will of God. 
A man who was stained by sin and murder was cleansed. Not just because of a ritual in the temple, but by being baptized and washed from sin by calling on the name of Jesus. Ananias says in verse 16, he was a man who was blind and deaf, spiritually and literally, unable to recognize the voice of God that he claimed to be serving. But he now hears the voice directly from the mouth of God. And then he turns and he speaks that same voice on his behalf. Do you see the power of the name of Jesus? Friends, Paul is a mistaken sinner. He is a perfect representation of the crowd that is there demanding his death. But he has been made into a representation of Jesus. Jesus, who was also accosted by a mob, hated for his witness, rejected by his own people, misunderstood and brought for judgment to the Romans. Jesus did all of those things too. But yet also like Jesus, and by the power of his name, Paul is clean. He is innocent. He has seen and he has heard the word of God. And he knows his will. So he testifies. He proclaims that name, Jesus, to everyone. So that the ones in the crowd who are just like he was could also know and follow him in that transformation into the likeness of Jesus. How does this apply to us this morning? Friends, Luke wants his audience to know who Paul is and to see in him the incredible power of the name of Jesus. Paul has still not stopped witnessing to everyone here today this morning as we read the words of Paul. We hear the testimony to the name of Jesus. The power to take a mistaken sinner and to remake them into the image of God. So this morning, I pray that you hear that testimony. And that all of us here recognize the voice of God when he speaks. That you allow the word of God to transform you into the image of Christ and to cut through all of the confusion that abounds today that you discern the truth from those that say one thing and those that say another. Friends, Jesus is not the God of the perfect, the put together, the self-righteous, the prosperously secure. Jesus is the God of people like Paul. The God of mistaken sinners. The God of those who are suffering 
and lost. And he is the God who makes himself known. Who takes people like you and like me and exchanges places with us before God. Making us his witnesses before men. So this morning, if you are still confused about who Paul is, then I urge you, get the facts. Read the word. Hear his own testimony, which is a witness to the transforming power of Jesus. And friends, this morning, if you have already joined Paul in being transformed by the word of God, if you depend on that name, Jesus, then by doing that, he is faithful to transform you more and more and more into that image of Jesus. And so you will be amazed at the things God uses both now and from your past things that you thought were completely broken, he will transform those things into the tools that he has given you to be his witness. To be his perfect messenger where he has put you today. And so that is where we will conclude today's texts. We've seen that Paul is a mistaken sinner We have seen that Paul is appointed as God's messenger. And finally, we'll read verses 22 through 29 and see that Paul is prepared perfectly to carry his message. Read these verses with me. Up to this word, that is Gentiles, they listened to him. But then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, yes. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship with a large sum of money. Paul said, but I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. And the tribune was afraid for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen. And that he had bound him. In this interaction between Paul and the tribune. We see the tremendous care. With which God has prepared Paul perfectly. To accomplish his calling. To be a witness to God. For everyone. 
So here, finally, we see the reason that the crowd responded so violently in verse 22. It's not because Paul was an Egyptian revolutionary assassin, but it's because he was claiming that God's salvation through Jesus was available to the Gentiles. And this, very frankly, would have challenged everything about how the Jewish people understood God's word. How Paul himself understood God's word before that word himself, Jesus, spoke to him on the road. And it also explains why the Roman officials were so confused. Why should the Hebrews care so violently about this issue of salvation from their religion to the Gentiles? They didn't understand that the people's rejection of Paul was a rejection of God's word. That is what is at stake here, friends. And that is what comes down again to the question of who is Paul. Because Paul is claiming that God prepared him, a Jew, and yet a mistaken sinner to carry the word of God even to the Gentiles. He is making a statement about who God is. And God himself has prepared Paul to do just that in a way unique to him that no other person could do. We see in verses 25 and 26 that Paul is a Roman citizen. He has rights that afford him tremendous protection above the regular subjects of the Roman Empire that all of the Jews were. In fact, it's this very identity as a Roman citizen that will be instrumental in the coming chapters that we read in Acts. That God has orchestrated all of this to bring Paul into a place where he can fulfill God's calling. It also seems in verse 28 that Paul was encouraged perhaps by the tribune to to offer him a bribe. He said, are you really a Roman citizen? I purchased mine with a great deal of money. I'm interpreting this that maybe the tribune was offering Paul an out. A way to get out of this beating, this flogging, this punishment, maybe even to be released entirely if he were to offer him this money. But friends, that is not Paul's goal. It has never been Paul's goal to simply avoid suffering for Christ. Far from it. In fact, friends, he has been going to Jerusalem for that express purpose. To suffer and be God's witness to everyone. Because that is who God made him to be. He knew what he would expect when he came to Jerusalem. He came fully aware that he would face this suffering. God warned him of that exact purpose 
when he spoke to him on the road. Let me jump back to Acts 9, verses 15 and 16. When he's speaking to Ananias, it says this, He, that is Paul, this is God speaking, He, that is Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So friends, once again, who is Paul? He is God's chosen instrument. Prepared perfectly, even down to the details of his birth, to be a witness to God's message. He says in verse 28, I am a citizen by birth. And that birth, friends, was not an accident, but it was a perfectly planned aspect of God's sovereign purpose. So Paul turns what God has given him to the service of God's message, not merely to the service of his own comfort. He could have just given the bribe and gotten away. But that's not his goal. He has carried the name of Jesus Christ before the Gentiles in his missionary journeys. He has carried the name of Jesus Christ before the Gentile or before the, the people of Israel right here in this passage we read this morning. And he is now preparing to carry the name of Jesus Christ to Rome before kings. Having been prepared for all of it perfectly, not by his own works, but by God. So in conclusion, how does this apply? I asked us a few hypothetical questions this morning at the beginning of the sermon. Who am I to? And I want to answer them now. Who are you to lead your family in a biblical way? You are a mistaken sinner who has been appointed by God and prepared perfectly to depend on his Holy Spirit to do nothing else. Who are you to raise your teenagers in a way that is dependent or that is that is in the knowledge of the Lord? You are a mistaken sinner appointed by God and prepared perfectly to depend on his Holy Spirit and do nothing else. Who are you to be a witness in your school or your workplace or to lead someone to Christ? You are a mistaken sinner appointed by God prepared perfectly to depend on his Holy Spirit to do nothing else. Friends, I hope that this morning you understand who Paul is. And because of that, I hope that you are in awe, as I am, of the transforming work of God that can take Paul and transform him into the image of Jesus. I hope that you recognize the word of God when you hear it, 
when it interrupts you on your journey. That challenges your assumptions and demands that you follow him. And finally, I hope that you follow the plan of God that he has for your life wherever it leads you. And that you witness faithfully everywhere that you go, even though you may suffer for it. Because, friends, he has appointed great things for your life. Go and serve him with everything that he has prepared for you. Let's pray. Father God, we are humbled this morning before you. We thank you for your word. God, for the word that transforms. God, for Jesus who came to die that we could look like you. God, be with us all this morning as we go out into the the plans that you have prepared for us, God. Help us to hear you, to allow you to change us in our lives and to be faithful in serving you, God, in everything that we do. In your name we pray, amen.